0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Let me tell you what, it feels so good to be back. I've been, uh, I've been coaching my son's football team all, all summer long. Great experience. But ultimately, it feels good to be back in the house of the Lord and to be back with my family here. Amen? Amen. So here's the scripture on Romans 8, 14. then hears, hears of God, and fellows hears with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. You may be seated. Thanks, Luis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, start start with this question. Anybody have any parent wounds? A couple hands went up. I think all, all hands could probably go up on that one. There's just something about the parent-child relationship, um, the intimacy of it, the, the, the depth of it, the, the power that that relationship has that not many of us get out unscathed by it. And as a relatively new dad, I've got an almost six-year-old, and a three-year-old, kind of Weighing in, you know, I have, a, I have a lifetime as a child, but only six years or so as a parent, and I'm feeling the weight of that, feeling the immense weight of what my relationship and my wife's relationship to our children means and all the ways in which it can be used to bless or to harm, uh, to, to, to breathe health and blessing and prosperity into a kid or the opposite. Um, Many of us, when we start talking about parenting, um, well, many of us have, have beautiful, great, healthy, wonderful things that pop in, into our minds. Praise God for that. Uh, probably all of us have, maybe some of those, but probably many of us have painful, hard, ugly, heartbreaking, destabilizing, angering ones as well. Uh, For most of us, we probably experience some mixture of the two. And we've talked about this before, but you can't start talking about parenting um, without it bleeding into how we understand God as Father. And vice versa. You can't start talking about God as Father without starting to import the ways in which your human parent-child relationships have, have colored those kinds of things. My question for you is this. What do you believe is the fundamental disposition of God towards you as father? Have you thought about that? What kind of father is he? And not even just in the abstract, but towards you. Towards you, specifically in Christ. You know, for various reasons, we might assume that God is an angry father But he's a detached father. He's a disappointed father. He's a cruel father. Fortunately, fortunately that's not what the scriptures declare. The scriptures declare fundamentally his fatherly disposition towards his people is one of love. It's one of love.
0: Hallelujah.
1: And one of the most important things we're going to, I'm going to argue from the scripture that was just read for us, one of the most important things that the Holy Spirit of God does is remind us of this reality of the loving fatherhood of God. And we ignore it at great, great cost to ourselves. Let me pray. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, again, we We just ask for your presence with us. We ask for your guidance, Lord. I pray that every word you would just filter from my mouth, Father, things that I'm preparing to say, I'm sure there are some of them that are wrong, that are not of you, that are misrepresentations of your word or your heart, throw them away, Lord. Anything that's true and beautiful and right, accurate, Lord, we pray that you would uh, drill it deeply into our hearts, Father. We want your word, not some guy's opinions. And Lord, as we, as we consider you as Father today, in context of, your, of what your Holy Spirit does, Lord, we just pray for hope and for truth and for your love to just be poured out deeply into our hearts, as you promised to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're, we're nearing the end of our series. Uh, next week will be the last week in this, what turned into a 10-week series on the Holy Spirit we called The Spirit and His Gifts. Um, and bef- after that, we're gonna embark on a three-week vision series, and, and more, more than a vision series, I think. It, it, an opportunity more than anything to recommit to one another as a church, to recommit to the mission and vision that we believe God has given to this church. And I would just say to all of you here and anybody listening online or listening to the podcast later, um, we're just, we're just asking you to fight as hard as you can to be present with us on, on Sunday, September 11th, 18th, and 25th. Um, Everybody has things that come up. You very well might, and that's okay. Uh, You're not kicked out of the church (laughs) if you can't make it, but... Nonetheless, we just, we want our community to be here. We want to gather together. We want to kind of reset and recommit together. So we'll be, we'll be mentioning that between here and then. Um, but all that said, two more weeks, the spirit and his gifts. Uh, which hopefully is setting us up as a community, not just to have had an interesting series about the Holy Spirit that one time that was, oh, wasn't that fascinating, but to hopefully mark like a new season of our church uh, where we are daily, weekly together here in the church from house to house, across coffee tables or whatever else, um, leaning into the things of the Spirit, claiming all these beautiful promises that he has for us. Pursuing him with everything we have that we might leave nothing on the table that he intends for us to have. Amen. That's work that's just beginning, not ending. Um, But all that said, Romans 8, as we come to Romans 8, it is one of the key chapters in the Bible uh, about the work of the Holy Spirit. And instead of kind of doing the whole thing, I kind of wanted to focus in on these verses kind of in the middle of the chapter um, that I think kind of create the apex point from which everything else can be understood. I think this is this is the the key teaching of Romans 8, on which all the others depend. I don't think we could do this series well without touching on this passage. Um, and I would just say this: most of what we've we've had to say about the Spirit has been applicable to all believers. You know, the Spirit really is a great equalizer. It's not, the Spirit is not someone who tries to create different strata of Christians. I hope that that's been impressed upon you. He doesn't create super Christians over here and sort of boring, mundane Christians over here. Um, He blesses all and he works through all, even in dramatically different looking ways, but ways that he dignifies, even though our world might say, oh, that's less exciting, that's less cool, whatever. He doesn't view it that way. Nonetheless, there are ways in which um, specifically when we start talking about the spiritual gifts that we have to get into the differences, you know? And we just spent three, four weeks talking about different spiritual gifts and the fact that everyone's gifted differently. Everyone is, every believer is supernaturally empowered by the Spirit of God to have some function to play in building up the church. But the way you are is maybe not the same as me and the person sitting next to you. All of us are gifted differently by his will, his plan. Um, but so we're kind of leaving that small sense in which things are different. Now we're getting back firmly into the territory of once again, this is what is unique, u- uniquely common to all of us. Not something that, that distinguishes us, but something that unites us, what we're about to say today. Um, and in these verses, in these verses, we're going to see for all of us that the Spirit makes all of us three things. The first is really the the fundamental one, and then the two are kind of the content that flows out of it. But first, receivers of the Spirit's witness. And then that witness is to these facts, that we are beloved children of our Father God. And then finally, that we are co-heirs with our brother, Christ. So we're gonna dive into each of these in turn. So, first, uh, receivers of the Spirit's witness. Look at verse 16 there. The Spirit Himself, Spirit Himself, that emphasis there, Himself. Not just any Spirit, the Spirit of God Himself bears witness. And I, I debated getting all into this, but I, I think ESV, we're reading the ESV translation here, I think it does us a disservice here. I think the Word that we should, we should have there instead of with is to. And maybe it doesn't make a huge difference, but I, I think to is the better translation from the Greek of what's going on in this phrase. So I'm going to read it that way. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. That we are children of God. What this verse speaks of is some form of I'm going to assume nonverbal communication from the Holy Spirit to you and to me, to us, concerning our relationship to God, specifically that we are children. This verb that's used here, it's sumartureo in the Greek. It's only used in two other places, both in the book of Romans. And the other two places where Paul uses it, it's to refer to the kind of communication that your conscience speaks to you. Have you ever had your conscience speak to you? Have you ever been tricked by your conscience? I assume so. Like our conscience, you know, we can become numb to it. We can become dull to it. We can ignore it. We can override it over time. But it speaks to us nonetheless. It witnesses to us nonetheless. So it is with the Spirit. But unlike our conscience, this isn't some internal part of us communicating. This isn't some part of yourself is reminding you that, uh, that God loves you or whatever. This is the spirit himself, the God of the universe, if I could speak metaphorically, whispering to you in your deepest places. And not just once, maybe someday back whenever you first accepted Christ, it speaks of this ongoingly repeatedly, availably. So some kind of nonverbal, subtle, spirit-driven communication, not to our ears, but to our spirits, from the spirit himself, is what is on offer. And we have to nurture this, friends. You have to believe it, first of all, and then figure out how to nurture this. Because this, this is the mechanism by which God one, does one of the most beautiful things, like so beautiful we can hardly imagine it. Listen to this in Romans 8, 5, where it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. That is what this, this verse is what that looks like. So we can talk about all these cool theological things that the Spirit does and hopefully each of them was like exciting and interesting in its own way and scaffolding your understanding and gives you confidence but then we get to this one and it's the Spirit is pouring the love of God into your heart, reminding you of your belovedness of the Father. That's what he wants to do. And as we've been saying, you know, uh, we want to be a church that's open to the prophetic. And hopefully we will become increasingly more so. But nonetheless, we may not receive prophetic insight from the Spirit every time we seek it. We may not be given answers by the Spirit to every question we have. In fact, we assuredly will not. We may not always get a sense of clear direction from the Spirit about some agonizing practical decision we have to make, of which we all have many. But we can trust that he will witness to us, he will witness to us about the bedrock things of our faith and our identity, namely, just how beloved you are by him. That you aren't a stranger to him but a child, that you aren't a slave to him but a son or a daughter. The spirit bears witness to our spirits that we are children of God. May we learn to listen without our ears, but nonetheless in the deep places of our spirits. Amen? So that's a promise of the Holy Spirit of God, but now we need to unpack it with these two other phrases. Number two, we receive His witness, we become receivers of His witness, but we also become this, this beloved children of our Father. This is an unthinkable privilege Look look at the verse before, 15. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. So the spirit of God, part of what he's doing is confirming that you've been adopted into the family of God by whom we cry, you cry, I cry at our best. Abba, Father. And you've probably heard this before. Abba, that's an Aramaic word, that they've transliterated into the Greek New Testament and then they put the Greek word for father there next to it. But Abba is this, it's this, it's a term of intimacy. It's not a formal term. It's intimate. It speaks of like this deep, beautiful, sensitive relationship. You've probably heard it said. It's like Papa or Dad or even Daddy. That's the word that Jesus uses for his father. That's probably the word behind the Lord's Prayer, the Aramaic word. We we actually don't have the Aramaic preserved, but when the Greek word for Father, most scholars think Jesus probably said, we taught you to pray the Lord's Prayer, the same prayer we pray at the end of every service. It's to address God this way, as Abba. The very same thing is what the Spirit enables the children of God to cry out with confidence, with confidence. What this tells us is that we are not, again, like slaves, or servants fundamentally with the God of the Bible or of the universe, but beloved children. And the basis of our relationship is not meant to be fundamentally fear, but freedom and love. Is that your relationship with the Father? Is that how you think of it? Is that how you experience it? I, uh, I remember hearing a, a sermon uh, from Tim Keller um, where he was, he was talking about this the very thing, the fatherhood of God, and I think he was talking about a different passage. But he, he likened it to this. He said, like, like, God is described so many ways in the Bible. He's big, and he's transcendent, and he's powerful. He's authoritative. He's inconceivable in so many ways. He's holy. He's set, set apart. He's separate. Uh, he's judge. He's just. And, you know, as we always say, justice, we want God to be just. We just don't want him to be just with us, right? <laughs> because we don't measure up. But he's just. He's all these things. And he's father. And, and Keller was pointing out, you know, you, you, you read these things, you go, okay, well, okay, so father must be one kind of other attribute that kind of slots under these things. But probably he's mostly like, you know, kind of a, a cruel something or whatever, and, and yeah, Father, it's in there somewhere or whatever, but, but I think Keller convincingly says, for, for those people in Christ, Father becomes the lens through which everything else gets filtered, and he used this analogy. He said, think of the President of the United States. No matter who the President is, the President is, you know, <laughs> though it may not be how our Constitution has designated things to function, he is the most powerful person in our government, president is the most powerful person in our government and he's awe-inspiring and you know you you know you don't flippantly approach the president or you're going to be shot <laughs> you know what I mean like you, you, there is protocol for who does and does not get to cl- get close to the president except for his kids except for his kids you know a president's Children, especially if, imagine president having young children. It's been a while since we've had a, a young president <laughs> with young children. Imagine young, young kids coming to daddy, coming to papa. And the Secret Service backs off. You know, the protocols can, probably not all protocols, many protocols disappear. And the president's a father. When, the, when these kids come to the president, they're not coming to the, the big, mysterious, powerful, person in the chair they're coming to dad at least if this at least if the president is a a dad worth his salt right all this other stuff becomes secondary to that primary relationship between father and son or daughter that's what this is like with our God yes he is all of these incredible things yes there is a reverence and an awe and a dignity we don't approach him flippantly of course but we approach him as dad. That's what the spirit wants to enable us to do, to really believe that that's the case and to approach him on that basis. This is touching on a, a theological concept called the doctrine of adoption. Sonship, adoption, daughtership, these are important blessings of the gospel. and you know, god's fatherhood is talked about in the old testament with israel and a couple of places here and there there's even a sense across the bible in which you can talk about god as father of all creation or all people even not his specific people in some kind of removed general sense yes he's the he's the creator there's a fatherhood element to that of everything but in the new testament as part of the new covenant that jesus brought There's this new idea, this even more intimate, familial relationship that gets established. This is the first time all this is put so explicitly, this side of Jesus, where we get to cry out to him as dad. Confident that he will receive us as his beloved children. This is a unique blessing of what Jesus has done for us. John 1:12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that's Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. There's a special sense in which Jesus has bought us this right. And the spirit does, wants to make sure you don't forget it. Wants to make sure you don't forget it. And Jesus modeled this way of approach to the Father for us. Again, it isn't flippant, but it's intimate, it's loving, it's full of joy and peace and trust and goodness. Even again, in the Lord's Prayer we recite, even every week, Jesus shows us how to address God as Father. When he's on the cross, he cries out to his Father. He speaks of God as a beloved son, confident to approach his Father. If you have trusted Jesus, if you're in this room, you have trusted Jesus, you've given, you've believed the gospel, you've given yourself to him, you've got to know this, you've got to let this become perhaps the most fundamental identity that you carry. I really believe that. If, if it can become that for you, if, if you can really get a sense of you as the daughter of the king, and not a tolerated one, but a beloved one, One that he was so incontent, discontent to be apart from that he sent his son to clear every, his son, the the second person of the Trinity, to clear every bit of debris to bring you home. It's it's the great uh, story, the parable Jesus tells of the prodigal son, or rather the, the story of the two brothers. This is the heart of God. If you believe it, it can change everything. The Spirit wants to remind you of this over and over and over and over again. May we listen to him. May we listen to him. Okay, then he, takes, he goes one more level down. So we've got the communication. We, he receives, we receive the Spirit's witness, and then the content is that we are the beloved children of this Father God, and then we get this other piece here, In verse 17 and if it's true verse 17 if it's true that we're children if we are genuinely children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him so if we are his children That entails something. It entails that what God has for his perfect son, his triune son, the second person of the Trinity, God the son, what God has for him, Jesus, he shares with us. His adopted children. Jesus' death for our sin and resurrection for our life, it it spills out into privileges so Beautiful that we can hardly describe them. Like, He took the punishment necessary for our sin and exchanged gifts us so much. His, Jesus' righteousness, you've heard this before, becomes your righteousness. Jesus' standing before God and all His perfection becomes your standing before God. Jesus' purposes become our purposes. We're given His mission. Jesus is raising to new life, has now, and will later in full become our resurrection life. Just as Jesus walked out of his tomb, you will walk out of yours one day. And he says here, his glory, last phrase, the glory that God has visited upon Jesus becomes your glory. You will be glorified with him. We don't become God. We don't become Jesus. The creature-creator distinction is firmly fixed, but nonetheless, he shares his glories and his goodness and these splendors with you that he loves. You become heirs of all that God has for Christ. Heirs why some of our songs speak of christ as a brother here we go here's the image god is the father he's building this family jesus is our older brother who has who's the good older brother who has purchased these things for us he's taken on our flesh he's come next to stand beside us though he is fully god he too is fully man he is god and he's our brother it's beautiful He also says this little phrase many of us might prefer wasn't in there the middle of verse 17 he says we are heirs of God fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him so the glory is promised but this isn't naive this isn't overly pie-in-the-sky kind of stuff if you know we we, we go too far down this road and we can start to think man, everything's gonna be perfect How could anything bad happen to me? And of course, weird theologies developed that express those things that that crassly. If you're in Christ, you know, nothing bad will ever happen to you. It's not true. Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered. If he suffered, we too will suffer. He promised us that. We, we suffer because, uh, just because of the, the baseline living in a broken, fallen, sin-stained, destruction and death-stained world. We, sin, we, we, we suffer because of our own sin, our own contributions. And we suffer for identifying with Jesus. We, we, we suffer for identifying with, with a king who claims authority over everything. And and if anyone's really paying attention to you or to me, they're going to know we're not playing the game everyone else is playing. We want to be good neighbors, we want to be good citizens, so on and so forth. But when push comes to shove, we have a king. And he's not of this world. And his kingdom is not of this world. And we will be made to suffer for that at some place or another. So this isn't dismissing the hardship of this life, it's staring it down. It's staring it down, but with the things of God, with the things of God, glory always awaits on the other side of suffering, doesn't it? It always does. It always does. Even when you can't see it, even when it's really hard to believe, that's His promise. So there's a sense There's a sense in which the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life, Romans 8 is about the leading of the Spirit, all who are led by the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, what it means for him to lead you in the day-to-day flows out of this revelation, of this profound identity as the beloved children of our Father, as co-heirs with our brother Christ. The Spirit helps us to genuinely believe because we can say, I can bark it at you. I can, you can read it in a book. You can tell yourself. You can write the Bible verse on a sticky note and put it on your mirror or whatever. But sometimes it's still really hard to believe, isn't it? That God is for you. When you look out, either across the news or across your friends who are suffering or whatever, or your own tragedies that befall you. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to just leave it up to that. He helps us to genuinely believe in our deepest places, the fatherly love and grace and mercy and goodness of God. And that belief in our deepest places can transform our day-to-day more powerfully than we can imagine. And that's the case when we are mired, mired in sin. Probably all of us are at some point or another. There are things in our lives that we just can't shake and we can't break free of, and our... Our, our, our typical impulse is to flagellate ourselves and try to work up enough guilt and shame and whatever around it. And there's a place for guilt, of course. But what would it, what would it mean to just genuinely trust that God loves you through that? That, that? that he is no less in love with you on your worst day. That he's still father. That he's rooting for you, that he wants to supply you what you need to come through those things. And that he'll love you to the end and one day he is going to break every shackle from your wrists. Are you struggling with identity issues? There's a million different ones related to your job, related to, gosh, sexual and gender identity, Related, you name it. Sometimes that comes through losing your own sense of personhood to your children. I know some parents are struggling with that. It's hard. It's hard to still be a person when all of your energy is devoted to sustaining the life of another person. Maybe it's your job or some other outlet or activity, something that supplied your identity. Whatever it is, this is one. This is one that can transcend Any of the waves that come, any storm that breaks, this will hold. It doesn't matter if you lose your ability. It doesn't matter if you lose your time. It doesn't matter if you feel like a failure. It doesn't matter if you fall into that same old sin again. You're his beloved child. And he always just wants you close. Always just wants you close. And all the questions and difficulties and struggles that are here in the here and now, and there are many, he does promise one day they'll be done. Every tear will be wiped. It will happen. He will give you that freedom. And he will still be father. The spirit of God wants to remind you of this. I, I, I just I, I say that as clearly as I can because it's spoken clearly here. The Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Amen. Believing this, turning your ear to this, turning, to, <laughs> weird weird image, turning the ears of our spirits. our inner places to him to receive this may in fact be the key to living life with the Spirit of God and isn't that beautiful that beautiful isn't that better than just trying to white knuckle it and bootstrap it and check the boxes isn't it better than than earning it for yourself if we so could but to let the Spirit continually remind us, you are loved. You are loved no matter what, on your worst day and on your best day. He loves you. And he will hear your cries when you cry out as Father, when you cry out to Dad. That's good news, friends. So in conclusion... This may not seem like some earth-shattering revelation. I hope it's not. I hope this is old news. I I hope you've swam in these waters for a long time. The fatherhood of God, the love that he has for you, the spirit reminding and pouring this out into our hearts. But if you needed a little reminder, like I did, like I do, I hope this has been one. If you're in Christ, I want you to hear this. His love and your seat at his family table have the potential to change everything for you? Will you listen to the Spirit speaking these things over you? Will you work to still yourself, to open up your heart and your mind to receive this, to let this be the fundamental place from which you go out into whatever else he has for you? More today than it was yesterday, more tomorrow than it was today. And if you don't know God as Father, The scriptures declare this, he's your father in some sense, he created you. He loves you, he desires good for you. But you're like an estranged child who's turned your back and has run away and he's there desiring this this kind of fatherly relationship to you, he wants you to call to him as Abba. He wants you to come to him confident that in Jesus, this is for you. But this is for you. If you don't know God as Father, you can come to Him today. You can give yourself to Him today. You can just trust that this is who God is and that He sent His perfect Son in your place to purchase all of this for you. What's the catch? There is no catch. It's a free gift. It's a free gift received by believing trusting faithing in what Jesus has done as many as would believe he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God that's for you i don't know who you are it's for you i know that if you will take it he desires you to come to him come today come today I think this is good news, friends. I think this is good news that the Spirit of God is this way. How about you? Let's pray.